By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. morning. Um, perhaps you could keep your Bibles open at that passage um, from John 5, page 1009, because I'll refer to it a couple of times uh, during my talk. But first of all, shall we pray? <clears throat> Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Uh, thank you that we can come here together today to study it and learn from it. Please help me to uh, teach faithfully from it and Speak to each of us in our hearts by your spirit so that we can take away what you wish us to hear today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I used to play Sunday cricket. And in all honesty, I wasn't really very good at it. I was, as a batsman, I was sort of in the mold of a guy called Trevor Bailey who used to play for England. And he wasn't so much a, a run scorer as a slow accumulator. It was said of him that if he stayed, if, if he came into bat and there wasn't a crisis already, if he stayed for any length of time, there soon would be. And my issue, my issue was a little different to Trevor's. I was obsessed with the technical minutiae of batting. So I'd get up there to the crease and I'd be wondering whether my box was in the right place protecting my vitals. I'd be concerned with where my feet were. Was my stance right? Was I side on? Was my elbow high? Was my center of gravity low? You can see where I'm going. And frankly, by the time the ball came down, it was a miracle if I hit it at all. So generally what would happen is I'd scratch around for a few minutes or so perhaps get the odd run if I was lucky. And then, and then somebody would put me out of my misery, and I'd be dismissed. <clears throat> Occasionally, however, I might give the chance of a catch to a fielder. And rather than gratefully accepting it and pouching it, and I'd be on my way, he dropped it. And then a strange change came over my batting, because I'd lose my obsession with all this technical stuff, and I'd concentrate on what I was really there to do, which was to belt the ball. And my batting went from this death-like phenomenon to be transformed and come alive. And from today's passage, I'd like to focus on the even more radical change from death to life, as Jesus teaches it. First of all, though, I think it's worth reminding ourselves just how amazing life is. You might not know, but apparently the average human body contains enough sulfur to kill all the fleas on an average dog, enough carbon to make 900 pencils, enough potassium to fire a toy cannon, enough fat to make seven bars of soap, enough phosphorus to make 2,200 match heads, and enough water to fill a 10-gallon tank. 
However, those ingredients and all the other things in the human body alone are dead. And if I were to gather up all of those ingredients and give them to the finest team of scientists in the world, there'd be nothing they could do to create a living being out of those substances. But when, when God gives those ingredients life, the result is awesome. For example, did you know the human body is constantly regenerating itself? We get effectively a new covering of skin every month and a new skeleton every three months. Your nose and your ears never stop growing through your whole life. And the stomach produces a new layer of mucus every two weeks. Otherwise, it would digest itself. It's all extraordinary, and I could go on and on. So what then about this transformation from death to life that Jesus talks about in John's Gospel? He speaks about two different kinds of new life. Firstly, he says that if we have faith in him, we will be given a new life which is eternal. Look first of all at verse 24. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed, uh, has crossed over from death to life. Also, Jesus talks about moving from death to life in the here and now. Look at verse 25 where he says, Very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Now the dead here, the sense of it, is those who are spiritually dead, who become spiritually alive when they choose to hear and trust in Jesus. And when we are spiritually alive, our lives will become more abundant. As Jesus says elsewhere in John's, John's Gospel, in chapter 10, verse 10, I have come that they, that's us, may have life and have it to the full. So as the new year approaches, it's this element of being spiritually alive and living life to the full that I'd like to focus on this morning. I wonder what being spiritually alive means to you. Who can you think of who's spiritually alive? And in what circumstances do you feel most alive spiritually? We could think about it from the perspective of relationships. Firstly, our relationship with God, and then our relationships with others. So what would a relationship with God that's full of life look like? Well, it seems to me it would be characterized by an, at an attitude and sense of thankfulness as we recognize what God's done for us through Jesus. It's certainly been very easy for me to be thankful. After 39 years of ignoring God and chasing all manner of other gods, he still came and found me. I went to church as a child and a young man, but in reality my gods were money, status, pleasure, and probably several others I wasn't even aware of. But many years later, I was pointed in the direction of an Alpha course, 
and the truth and reality of Jesus and what he'd done for us, it's home. I suppose the thing that struck me most was that I'd done nothing at all to deserve this gift of life. It also seems to me that the more we want to live life to the full or be alive, the more we'll want to depend on God. Now, part of that dependence is having ongoing communication with him to tell him what's going on in our lives and seek his guidance for, for what he wants us to do. Sometimes we might be in our comfort zone with that and sometimes we might be called to do things well outside of that comfort zone. But if we're truly dependent on him, equally we can trust that he'll take care of us in that sort of situation. For Christmas, I was given this book by Lynn Boyd Primus, who's a footballer for Portsmouth FC. It's called Transformed. He became a Christian, and this book describes his journey of faith. At one stage, he tells how a number of people prayed for healing for a persistent knee injury he'd been suffering from. When it was healed, he had a strong sense that God wanted him to tell people about his faith, but he was fearful about it, as you'll see from this passage. He says, I thought of Ezekiel in the Old Testament, who, after being lifted up out of his body, was called by God to go to Israel to be a prophet. The thought of such a modern calling frightened me. Is that sort of thing going to happen to me? Will I have to give up football? Am I going to be a vicar? After that, um, Limboy played a reserve team game to prove the fitness of his knee and came through it with flying colors. So the story carries on over the page after the game. <clears throat> I left the dr dressing room after the game, and there was a reporter, Dave Kemp, from the local newspaper, which was the Portsmouth Evening News. He was waiting outside for a player to interview. His first inquiry to, inquiry to me was, how do you feel? My reply was, before I start, I've got something I want to share with you. I'm a Christian. Dave interrupted me before I could go on. So am I, he said. I wasn't altogether surprised by his revelation, given what had happened to me previously. It was even as if God had placed him there to ensure that everything was reported correctly. Dave didn't appear to be shocked at the story of my healing, but merely said, I will give it to the paper to use. The outcome, of the, story, the outcome was the story was featured all over the back page of the newspaper under a big headline, God healed my knee. And I had well and truly come out, so to speak. The result of all this was that on the one hand, many of his Portsmouth teammates gave him considerable flack and generally took the mickey out of him. But on the other hand, it raised his profile amongst the wider community and has enabled him to lead many charitable and evangelistic activities in the Portsmouth area. Incidentally, regarding Limboy's fear, fears of having to give up football and become a vicar, he's still securely in the Portsmouth first team squad. So here, Limboy receives what he believes to be guidance from God, which whilst it's fairly straightforward, is well outside his comfort zone, and which he's frankly very apprehensive about. But he follows the guidance anyway, and God uses it to major effect. There are lots of other great stories in this book, by the way. 
and I heartily recommend it, particularly if, like me, you're a football fan. In a similar way, we're seeking to be alive in our relationships with those around us. We might find it very easy with some people, but with others we might, might not have the patience, wits, or wisdom to be loving towards them. But in that situation, we can ask for the help, help of the Holy Spirit, so we do it in His strength rather than our own. And one simple way to be alive around others is to be encouraging. My experience at St. Dionys is that we're rather good at this. However, in the wider world, I found it to be very rare. I remember about 10 years ago, I was working at IBM, and I'd had a very good year. The work I'd done and the impact I'd made had been very positive. I was in my annual review with my 360-degree feedback, which was where people around me in the workplace had given, given their input on me personally. It was all very good. So I sat there rather savoring the moment, and in fact, I was frankly smug. I was still lapping it up when my boss tried to move me on to the next topic for discussion. I refused and said, look, this is the only time in the whole year I have anything encouraging said to me, so I'm going to take a bit of time to enjoy it. I really meant it, so I did. Now, if encouragement is this rare, perhaps we could each resolve to spread a bit more around outside. Of course, encouragement is only one of the gifts we could use. As we move into 2008, perhaps you could consider what your gifts are and how to, how to use them around others to benefit them. Just before I finish, I'd like to return to Jesus' claim that he alone gives not only spiritual life now, but eternal life in the future. In our modern pluralistic society, many would think this is outrageous. Some of you might agree. But what if it's true? The consequences are so profound that in my view it's vital we each check it out for ourselves. I'd also say to you that the Christian invitation is simply come and see. There are lots of ways you might be able to do this. There's something called the Alpha Course, which we run here, as do many other churches across London and indeed the whole country. You could also talk to Christian friends, or you could talk to the vicar Tim here, or Johnny, or one of the other staff, or even me if you want to. So, to sum up, for the new year, I suggest that, as with my batting at cricket, we avoid holding back and playing safe and resolve to belt the ball. In other words, ask God how he might want us to step out of our comfort zones and really be alive. And then go and do it. Amen. Just before we um, have our offertory hymn, um, should we just have a moment to respond uh, to Steve's talk? Let's just have a moment of quiet and um, I'm going to ask the Spirit to just come and, and to sink those words into our heart. Lord, come by your Spirit. Lord, you're described as the Spirit of life, of that uh, eternal life which transforms our hearts. Lord, come. Come to all the areas of our lives that are perhaps um, 
death-like. All the areas that you haven't broken into. All the areas that we've tried to regain some measure of control ourselves. Lord, break into our hearts, break into our minds, break into our lives by your spirit, Lord. Move us from, from a sort of normal existence to a, a life full of you, full of your spirit. And Father, I pray that uh, by the power of your spirit, we might move into the new year fully alive in you, to love you more deeply and more really and more able to love those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. We now sing our offertory hymn, which is There is a Redeemer. Um, we'll be taking our